This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everyone, welcome to Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis. Today I have Ken Fish with me in studio and we are going to be discussing uh, anti-scientism. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Before we introduce the conversation today, I want to let you know about who Remnant Radio and what we're all about. Remnant Radio is a theology broadcast. We stream Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, We discuss uh, theology, history, and the gifts of the Spirit every single week, Uh, but we invite people from different churches and denominations on our channel channel to discuss these issues. So we suspend our presupposition. We're trying to get you outside of your theological echo chamber and learn from our Christian brothers and sisters who might be in a different theological space than you. Uh, With me today on my right, your left, I have Ken Fish. Ken, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, uh, it's glad to have you here. You just spoke at Wellspring Church. Mike was on sabbatical, so he's been bringing in speakers uh, to speak on Sundays for him. You came and spoke. Uh, you know, tell us a little about last night. There was some some pretty cool stuff that happened. I heard. Yeah, last night was. Uh, I think God was putting on a show. Really, um, I taught on the compassion of God and how He really His His heart for us as human beings, and. Um, and then the Spirit of God started moving. Uh, there was one woman who, I, I couldn't believe it, she'd actually traveled four hours from somewhere else in Texas. Yeah, Houston. There was I want to say there's an entire group, uh, like 15 people, that's what Rhonda said, is that there was lots of people who had come from that area up here to get prayer. Well, so, they all got prayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, that lady, um, I had the re- weirdest word. I'd never had a word like this, but I said, there's somebody who has, I, I believe it's soft bones. And it turned out she did, mm-hmm. um, which, again, I, I couldn't have made that word up because I never even heard of that condition. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, that's what we call a word of knowledge. It's a you know, supernatural insight into either a present or past condition. And so she responded, came up for prayer. My friend Brian Blount was there. He'd come down from Oklahoma City, and he helped me pray for her. After a while, I had to get on to other people, and Brian kept praying for her. And eventually, she fell on the floor under the Spirit's power. And uh, to be clear, she wasn't pushed down. She was just overcome with that level of of divine power that was moving on her. And at the end of the night, she gave a testimony and said that all the pain in her body had left and her bones were not soft anymore, which I'm not sure how you measure that. But anyway, she was satisfied that the result was good. That was quite clear. And Rhonda said that she had a problem with mobility and walking and stuff like right. that. And then, it, again, seemingly, as far as you could tell, she, well, had she quite came a bit up with a walking mobility. stick. Oh, I see. Or, or, a, a, I mean, yeah. a medical cane, really, not Some kind walking of assistance. stick. And uh, and when she went and sat down, she wasn't using it. Mm. So Brian took the cane and kind of set it next to her. I mean, it, it's her whatever she's going to do cane. with it now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, it reminds me actually. <laughs> in the dumpster. She's like, wait a second. Well, there is that <laughs> actually because you know it reminds me of when years ago, uh, many years ago now, when I was in a corporate job mm-hmm. working for a Fortune 500 company in downtown Los Angeles, California. And I didn't do this all the time, but from time to time, I would take a longer lunch and I would go visit a few of, I don't know, the religious sites around downtown L.A. And people may not think of that as a thing, but but there are religious sites around downtown L.A. One of them, of course, is the Azusa Street Mission, which back in back in those years, there were still buildings there that were from that period. Mm -hmm. But now those are all gone. They've been cleaned out and they've done some redevelopment. But another one is um, the church built by Amy Semple McPherson, founder of the Foursquare denomination, mm-hmm. um, on the edge of Echo Park, and it's it's very close to downtown LA, so you could drive over, take a taxi, or no, you, did she come in after Azusa? I, yeah, my she's after a little, Azusa. A little Azusa is 1906 them. to 1909, and I, I'm familiar with Azusa's history, but yeah. I wasn't sure when Amy came on the scene and in the when 20s. she planted a church. Okay, yeah, she it. came on in the 20s, and and she died in, if I remember correctly, 44. Okay, so um, anyway, but she had a very powerful healing ministry. So in those years, uh, 
on more than one occasion, I went over to Angelus Temple, which is still there. You can still go into it. It's a five-story church, and they've reconfigured it now. But at its peak, it would seat more than 5,000 people, about 1,000 people per level. Hmm. And um, it was built, I think, without any elevators. But what I distinctly remember is that there are staircases on either side, and you can go up the staircases from level to level. And back in in those years... At the head of each staircase, before you would turn to go up the next flight, right there, they had large cases bigger than, you know, this desk we're sitting at, much larger than this desk. Um, And they were, I guess, made of glass or plexiglass. I never really checked that question, but, but something clear that would protect what was inside. And inside there were stretchers and Mm -hmm. ear horns and eyeglasses and canes and things like this, medical devices and conveyances. And underneath each one would be, you know, Josh Lewis, you know, 423 Elm Street, you know, Hearst, Texas. Well, those were in the years when phones weren't as common. Clearly no one had cell phones and things like that. But what they were effectively saying is if you want to check out the veracity of this healing, just drive over to this guy's house and knock on his door and ask him about it. And so they had all this stuff on exhibit. And I, I called them trophy cases. Yeah. Well, after some period of time, somebody somewhere decided that this wasn't a good thing to do because I went back one day and it was all gone. And so I found the the janitor. The proper church term is sexton, if you please. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I found the janitor, the sexton, and I said, hey, I used to come over here, you know, in years gone by and there were these cases with all the crutches and canes and this and that. And where did all that go? And he said, oh, we've got all that in the storeroom now. And I said, well, why'd you take it out? He goes, well, it was gathering dust and it was kind of embarrassing to have it around. Hmm. I said, why was it embarrassing? I said, it's a testimony to God's power. And he kind of looked at me and he lowered his voice and he goes, because these things don't happen here anymore. Mm. And he said, and it was kind of in the face of the you know people that were in charge. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, wow, that's that's sad, but the, the, but this is this is really, I think, at at its core, the genesis of so much of teaching that that God never did these things, or He stopped doing it with the apostles, or you sure. know, whatever version of that you want to go to. Um, here it was writ large, right in front of me, in Angelus Temple, mm-hmm. which was built less than a hundred years ago. We're right around a hundred years ago now. Sure. Um, so you know, you don't have to go back into ancient history. You can just talk about things of the twentieth century. Who is Angela? Angelus Temple was the name of this church? Oh, no, it's called Angelus. And, okay. As so, in Los Angeles. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so, I was like, that name makes me no. so uncomfortable. No, no, it's not, it's not <laughs> Angela's Temple, it's Angelus Got Temple. It. There we I'm go. I'm so much more comfortable with that. <laughs> I was like, we're already on Amy Simple McPherson ground. It's going to get weird. No. <laughs> it's like, who is Angela? And why I'm just speaking in tongues on the air. That's what's gotcha. going on. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's perfectly more acceptable. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about this, this anti-scientist if you will, where the church has separated itself from the science and separated itself from from thinking in what would be a rationalistic sort of way in regards to science, uh, our faith and reason in opposition. Right. Um, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think it's a super important question because historically, within Christian theology, and and we could even say in Jewish theology before Christian theology. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a dichotomy between faith and reason, and probably the highest expression of this that you can find is in the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, Mm -hmm. who was viewed, uh, well, as probably the greatest theologian of the high Middle Ages. And um, and again, there there was not viewed any kind of contradiction between faith and reason, although, to be fair... I think there are times when things happen that make us make us scratch our head or shake our head in disbelief. And in that sense, what we're having is cognitive dissonance because we've experienced something, we've seen something that doesn't fit the normal pattern of life as we understand so it. So like a donkey talking or the sun throwing a stick in the water and something metal floating right. up. Like all of that. Yeah, the weird stuff. Multiplying fishes and loaves and feeding thousands of people with what amounts to a sack lunch. Yeah. I mean, these kinds of things are, they do stretch us. And it isn't clear from Scripture how often these things should or actually do occur. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think this weekend while I was, I think I spoke of this momentarily, uh, when I was uh, speaking this weekend at 
Wellspring Church, I mentioned a time when we'd had had a, a food distribution and clothing distribution um, at a church that I was visiting. And in the end, we had more than we had started with. And this was after having, mm-hmm. you know, provided food and clothing to hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be in the same class of miracle as what Jesus had with the multiplication of fishes and loaves. Yeah. But having said that, I'm also quick to add, I don't have 30 stories like that. That's right. You know, I've seen that on a handful of occasions, but that's a lot more than a lot of people have seen. Sure. So those who have never seen it would say, it never happens, it didn't happen, it doesn't happen, you're crazy. But there were other witnesses to it. I mean, we know it happened. Um, And then some will say, well, why isn't it in the newspaper? Probably because we didn't call the newspaper to report on it. Mm. And, you know, not everything that happens in the realm of life is newsworthy and even things like that that you might think are newsworthy because of their unique nature, some people just don't feel the need to grandstand all the time. Well, yeah, and then you have news outlets that don't want to be taken advantage by charlatans either. That's right. So you've got these news anchors who, like, do, do these things actually happen? Absolutely. But are there charlatans in the world? Absolutely. And you're going to say the secular news, it's their job to figure out which one's which. That's going to be a difficult space. Maybe you can answer this question for me because we're, we're touching on two different things, which one is rationalism and right. one is naturalism. Right. Can you give us, because naturalism is antithetical to the Christian worldview, yeah. but rationalism isn't necessarily. Can you give us the difference between those two things? Well, rationalism is, you know, the life of the mind and learning to think what we might say logically. And in the Western tradition, which is very different, by the way, from Eastern thought, um, we tend to function through deductive reasoning. Mm-hmm. And so we draw our conclusions based on, you know, first premises and, and incoming data. And I don't think these things need to be mutually exclusive. Naturalism, on the other hand, says there is no such thing as the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Everything has a natural explanation to it. And I think there are some things that don't actually have a good rational explanation to them. Many uh, of which we don't have. Right. Yeah, if you talk to any scientist, yeah. you're like, hey, I'm a naturalist. You can, you can ask them about the Big Bang. You can ask them, there's, there's tons of areas where quantum physics, string theory. There's so many areas where th- they'll go, yeah, put a whiteboard ex- you know, representing the universe and put a dot on it. That's what we know. Right? That's right. Like that's, it, it, there's so much we don't know that at this point in time, naturalism can't account for. Um, that's not to say that their knowledge of a dot won't grow into maybe that of a, a slightly larger dot um, by, by the end of days. But um, it's not to say that uh, there's, just, there's just so much they can't account for. That's right. Um, and yeah, and uh, the Christian at best can speculate. The Christian at best can say, hey, God knows, um, but we, it's not... Um, having the answers for these things doesn't necessarily determine what is truth, right? So truth is suspending from us. It's universal. It's extending uh, as a as an attribute that is rooted in who God is, That's whereas right. the naturalist can only detect things with their hands and eyes and those kinds of things. We have a presupposition that truth extends beyond us. And even though we might not be able to discover that truth, it doesn't mean that truth was never there. That's correct. So, and naturalism, back to something you said just a moment ago, naturalism relies very heavily on the input of our senses. Yeah. Um, and it says if I can't uh, measure it or I can't somehow control it, uh, make it do what I want it to do on demand and, and observe it with, you know, eyes, smell, mm-hmm. hearing, whatever it might be, sense of touch, uh, then it doesn't exist at all. And I think if we were to if we were to take that to its logical conclusion, let's just go to the field of quantum mechanics for a moment. Sure. Well, why not? Why I, not? I, I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it, it's a really good example because the fact is when you take something, you know, even as large as this Bible, which is in the scheme of things not that large. I mean, that's offensive. It's my Bible, but that's okay. I'll take it. Okay. But if you take something like this, this Bible either exists here or it exists here. Right. Quantum mechanics suggests that for something like an electron moving at just under the speed of light, it can actually simultaneously exist in two places. Mm. So what's true in the, in the small world, the very small, like the really small world, mm-hmm. the nano world, um, may not be true at the macro level. 
how does that even work? Well, that's part of the, you know, what puzzles people about quantum mechanics. But what we learn is that out of quantum mechanics is that in fact, electrons can have those two states of nature simultaneously. Whereas a larger item like this, that generally doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you would say, based on observation, well, something can either be here or it can be here, and therefore it's impossible for something to be two places at once. Mm -hmm. And yet in the realm of quantum mechanics, it can be. So if I'm a naturalist, I would discard the entire field of quantum mechanics because it deals with something that I can't observe with my eye. We're mm -hmm. dealing with something that's so small, it literally can't be observed, mm -hmm. except we can create instruments that can measure it and because we have those instruments, now we've extended our ability to perceive. Mm -hmm. And so what that suggests is that there are things that are beyond our what our, we would say our natural knowledge or our inherent ability to observe. And this is why we create instruments. This is why we create tools. And I think those tools on the, on the rational side of things give us an access point. But there is also this thing of revelation where God makes things known to us there are things that can only be answered out of the Bible mm -hmm. that science can't answer. That's right. So when we talk about naturalism, I want to know where it comes from, because in the grand scheme of things, uh, we talked about this just a moment ago, it's the new kid on the block, right? Right. Um, throughout time, throughout history, as far as we know, cultures have been, have believed in a supernatural worldview, right? right? So so how, uh, where did this come from? How has it affected Christianity? Let's talk about that worldview system because so many of our audience they go, okay, well, I'm not a naturalist, but we don't really realize how much naturalism has really affected the way that we live our lives, the way that we act. You know, I'm going to do everything on my own strength until there's something that's beyond me, and then I'll ask for help, and then I'll then I'll call upon the name of the Lord, right? Like, we, we actually function, even the charismatic spaces, we function as naturalists. That's right. Until we have to be a supernaturalist. Um, and then we're, we're living with, like, this deficit of faith. So let's talk about where naturalism came from and how it's affecting our worldview. Well, at least for our purposes, I think naturalism got its get-go with what's commonly known as the Enlightenment, okay. um, which was a uh, intellectual movement uh, that started in the late 17th century, uh, 1600s, mm -hmm. and then progressed you know, through the 1700s and into the 1800s. And... You know, the Enlightenment was called that because supposedly we were getting enlightened and we were leaving aside all of the superstition of the Dark Ages and medieval thought. Which is good. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. And yeah. and there was a need for some reform and, and just coming to our senses, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same thing as saying that all that people believed was wrong. That's right. And so there's a tendency to want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as the Enlightenment uh, progresses, we, we start to move towards scientism. And scientism demands that nothing really be believed unless it can be replicated on demand through an experiment mm -hmm. in a controlled condition that mm -hmm. you know, we, we set up. And I think the nature of, of life is such that while there are many things where that is true, we can create ice pretty much on demand if we put it, water in an ice cube tray and mm -hmm. put it in our freezer. Some things are really that way, but other things are not that way at all. Um, you know, this woman who got healed last night at the church who, you know, was done with her cane, I guess we could have put it in the trophy case. That was really what prompted that conversation. I was going to have a trophy case next time you come in. Well, you guys can build one and start filling it up with things go. that are <laughs> no longer necessary. Um, but, you know, that... That one we can't reproduce on demand mm -hmm. because it's driven by God and his agency. Mm -hmm. Now, in that particular moment, I had a word of knowledge and I called it out and that triggered her healing or her miracle, if you want to say it that way. But that's not reproducible on demand because I don't have that power. Mm -hmm. God does. But he chose to make himself known in what I would call a revelatory moment both by defining the condition that he was about to touch and then following through on it. But does that mean that every single one of those that we might encounter is automatically going to be healed? Well, I want to think that many of them can be healed, mm -hmm. and often they are healed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was probably helped out by the fact that my friend Brian has quite a track record with things like that. But um, 
I can't sit here and say absolutely every time somebody with soft bones comes in with a cane and we pray for them, they are going to be healed in that moment or within 30 minutes. I think she got prayer for 20 or 30 minutes before it was all done. Sure. I, I can't make that statement. And, and that's really where the divergence happens because we are still dependent on God and we have to be open to the possibility that there is a reality beyond what science would tell us. So, so in, in the Enlightenment, we have the, and this has helped a lot in the Protestant Reformation because the goal of, like you said, the Enlightenment is to go back to the sources, right? right? And with the scientism that comes out of that, it's to go back to the sources. How do we test to see if this thing is true? Um, within a Christian worldview, or at least in a theist worldview, we can do that to the natural order because the natural order is a created thing, right? But what we're talking about in the supernatural space is when an uncreated being, right? So you, you then come into what um, C.S. Lewis talks about, the third dimension versus the fourth dimension, right? right. You, if you have a two-dimensional object trying to comprehend what is three-dimensional, this two-dimensional being would have no comprehension of how to process something three-dimensional. And thus a three-dimensional being would have no way of processing what a fourth dimension could possibly look like or experience, right? So if God is the creator, he he is beyond our nature. That's right? correct. We're, he's beyond the that's created exactly order. Right. So so when a naturalist comes to a Christian who's claiming a miracle or something that's supernatural, he's saying, Show me through created nature how this is possible. And we say, Well, no, the uncreated God has intervened within the created order. That's it's correct. not normative. So so what you're saying is that the naturalist worldview, the reason that rationalism and Christian faith can work together is because they're not mutually exclusive. But naturalism is mutually exclusive because it's claiming we want to go back to the source and we're like, <laughs> there's no way to study that source outside of the way he's revealed himself. Well, and naturalism by its nature is man-centric. That's right. right. It, it, it is in the entire, all of the limits of what it defines are, are circumscribed by what we think we know, and I say it that way on purpose because sometimes what we think we know isn't actually right. Like a flat earth. What, I'm sorry? Like a flat earth. Yeah, like a flat earth. Yeah. So it's defined by what we think we know and what we can observe with our own senses. But, but in fact, there are things that we, that we don't know that we later come to know. Mm -hmm. um, right at this moment, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about black holes. Mm -hmm. And you know, the nature of a black hole is you can't see it because it sucks in all the light and energy around it. Now, we can detect them using instruments, but, you know, in, say, 1850, no one had heard of a black hole. Nobody believed that such a thing existed. No one had even conceived of such a thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, because of the theory of relativity and because of quantum mechanics, people started to think about cosmology differently, and they said, hmm, well, at the limits, there should be something like this. Let's go see if we can find it. They still didn't know that it existed. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, because of modern instrumentation and so forth, we've actually been able to detect that. And so I would say to somebody who's a naturalist, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't know what's going on in the Andromeda galaxy. I mean, we can detect that it's there, but we have no precise information about what's going on in Andromeda. Mm -hmm. And God has all knowledge of everything as the creator. And if he chooses to, he can drop a piece of that infinite knowledge that he has into us and allow us to experience something, to know something uh, that we wouldn't have otherwise known. Well, That's the very nature of it. Let's talk about that. If God is the creator of all of this and, and we think about science and then we even think about history and the way that Christians have interacted with history, um, where Christians go... Uh, slaves are liberated, oppressed women are set free. Um, we have uh, every time, everywhere Christians go, like you think about the the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, these are Christian-driven. Um, you think about abolition here, both in, in the UK and in America, run by Christians. They were in the forefront of justice issues. They were in the right. forefront of, of science and entertainment and the arts. You, you think about Christians, they were so driven in these areas. And now you can look and like we're not touching hardly any of those areas anymore, being a voice of moral and cultural uh, engagement. So wh what happened from even from the Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment, we were still involved in science. We were still, right. I mean, you think about um, this is a guy who made, uh, I want to say it's calculus, French uh, philosopher guy, uh, really into the maths. I can't think of his name. Um I'll have to look at them up here in a second. Uh, but like like even until until recent days here in the West, um, we've been involved. What's happened that has caused the West 
um, the Christian West to begin to remove themselves from the sciences and remove themselves from the entertainment and those kinds of fields and spheres. Right. So we started out talking about the Enlightenment, and we somehow got ourselves around to quantum mechanics and you know, Albert Einstein. So Einstein lived in the early 20th century. So, you know, in round numbers, we're talking, you know, his big discoveries were around 110, 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in the, in the field of history, that, that's, that's an eye, it's a blink of the eye. That's I mean, right. my grandmother was born in 1902. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can look at that. That's her lifetime. So really we're talking about in our grandparents' lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe your great-grandparents. But anyway, uh, what happened is um, as, as this naturalistic philosophy began to push on the world as we knew it, um, I think there was a reaction. There was a reaction among people of faith. Mm-hmm. And it, it really came to a boil with the Scopes Monkey Trial mm-hmm. in 1925. I don't think the Scopes Monkey Trial is the one and only instance of this. It just sure. happens to be one of the better known instances. It's the tipping point. Yeah. yeah, it's the tipping point. And so what ends up happening is even though on the one hand the trial was won by the side of faith, the war was lost by the side of faith because, um, as you pointed out before we started recording, the, the media jumped in and started mocking this. Academia started mocking this. Um and so we came to a place where, and I think we still see a lot of this in, in modern America today and mm-hmm. in modern Western Christianity, where people believe that the, the essence of faith is to be opposed to reason. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case. I think truth is unified. I think Thomas Aquinas stood for that. I think St. Augustine stood for that. Yeah. Um, and although Einstein was not a Christian, he was a Jewish man. Even Einstein said God does not play dice with the universe, and he did believe in a personal God. He just wasn't a Christian. And so uh, I know for some of our viewers or listeners that that statement alone might be problematic, but, but I mean, we can't discount the, the whole history of Jewish thought here. I mean, Christianity mm-hmm. is built on the foundation of Judaism. So Einstein was a man who understood that, that what he was doing rationally and intellectually with quantum mechanics and higher mathematics and physics, that didn't necessarily contradict or negate the world of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's why he could be so confident that the world had some sort of predictability and an order to it. And he actually did what he did on the confidence that it was discoverable. Mm-hmm. And Isaac Newton, who was, you know, Newtonian physics dominated before Einsteinian physics, Isaac Newton was a devout Christian. And everything that we understand about the basics of physics in terms of mass, momentum, and energy transport, angular velocity, I mean, all of these kinds of theories, all of that came out of Isaac Newton. And it was because he really believed that he was, and this is a term that you sometimes hear Christian philosophers use, he was thinking God's thoughts after him. Mm-hmm. He was understanding the mind of God as he was studying science, and as he studied creation through the tool of science, he actually had a, a deeper appreciation for who this God was whom he served. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of all of that uh, breakdown is that in the 18th century, you started to have philosophers with names like Feuerbach and Schleiermacher, people mm-hmm. like this, and they started to define religion in terms of the subjectivity of it. Are you having an experience of transcendence? Is it emotional? Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel good? Do you get the chills? And so with that, we get a, we get a separation that precedes even the Scopes Monkey Trial. And I think a lot of where we are today is, is people are caught in the uh, – the subjective side of religious experience, mm-hmm. but they've lost touch with the objective side of life. Mm-hmm. And I think what we want to do is we want to be fully open to the subjective mm-hmm. and have powerful experiences of transcendence. And at the same time, living in the objective where we also have powerful experiences of what philosophically is known as imminence. So we're going to live in the world, but not be of the world. That would be we're a gonna, very good way we're of gonna, saying we're gonna, it. We're going we're gonna to live in this natural created world, That's but we're right. going to have a worldview that transcends, that makes sense 
of the natural world that we live in. That's exactly right. And, and for our audience who's watching and they're like, hey, I'm not familiar with the Scopes Monkey Trial. I want to catch you up just briefly. Scopes Monkey Trial, John Scopes, Tennessee teaches evolution. Um, turns out uh, uh, the board there, the school board, did not like this. Takes him to court. Um, uh, I think he loses his job over. I don't know how, how severe. It was illegal to teach evolution at the right. time. And uh, so he's... he's uh, reprimanded on some level in court um, and at the end of it all the media runs after the christians and starts mocking uh, news articles are written um just trying to um humiliate the christian worldview and the christians decided uh, we have this this term uh uh i don't i don't play basketball i don't want to pretend like i play basketball it's called roofing a ball so if you're playing basketball and you get really ticked you just roof the ball and no one gets to play anymore so the christians decided to do right the christians were like uh we're playing with you guys. We're, we're different teams, but like right. we're friendly. And like we got to this point where it's like, oh, you're going to make fun of us? Well, fine. We're not going to play with you anymore. So we started separating from culture. That's right. We had our own entertainment, our own education system, our own. And it's not like, like to your point, it's not like that one event. This is a cascading effect, moment after moment. Right. This is compounding. This is just one of the, the bigger straws that begin to weaken the back of this uh, camel, if you will, uh, the proverbial camel. And uh, uh, so, so the Christians are now separating themselves from culture. And now, now we have this, this group that says, uh, when, when, when people are looking at Christians, it's hard to distinguish from a secular worldview between a Christian and any kind of other cult group. Because we have our own insular entertainment, we have our own insular music, we have our own insular education system, and right now, with the way things are going, you know, we did a, that prophecy review, 2020 prophecies that we were reviewing, you were on with us, on that, yeah. and, and then after that, we've done <laughs> reviews where people are just like, they're holding their hands over their eyes and going, no, 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 Trump's still president, and and there's just like, what are you, what are you talking about? Right. And, and, and non-Christians look into that space and go, how is it even possible uh, that you guys are looking at data and facts and are blindly ignoring what is actually happening in the world. That's right. Um, and it, what, it, what we're trying to help identify is that, and this is a worldview issue, that Christians, by by not being in the world, like we're commanded to be in the world, uh, we're trying to live outside of that in, in the supernaturalist space, removing ourselves from reality. Um, it's it's affected our witness in the world, I think, pretty drastically, pretty dramatically. Yeah, I think that's right. A, a, a friend of mine said to me recently that she is concerned that her children may never return to the faith because mm. of what's transpired in the 2020 election. Yeah. I mean, she may be overreacting or maybe not. She tends to be a pretty level-headed individual. Mm -hmm. She's a devout believer. Uh, but she's a, very, she's a very rational person with a very, uh, I would say, a very intellectually laden job. Mm -hmm. um, she's never wandered from the faith, notwithstanding all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the things, the behaviors that her kids have seen, um, she said, we may have lost a whole generation. Yeah, And so, um, I mean, it, it is concerning. And on the one hand, I want to I be sympathetic to Christians who leave open the possibility that God can intervene and sure. alter history. I just want to also say right behind that, he didn't in this case. Yeah. And so let's move on. Yeah. No, and, and I'm with you. Uh, uh, I've got no reason. I mean, we just talked about axe heads floating, the sun standing still, donkeys talking. I mean, we just, we mentioned some really weird stuff that That's we right. see in scripture. I mean, the witch of Endor calls up Samuel from the ground. I mean, things get spooky in the Bible, right? right. So we've got no reason to believe that in uh, in a moment, God can't turn things around, no right. no issue thinking that or believing that, or even that that's a possibility. Uh, but to go from where we're at right now um, and to assume on what I would just say is the counsel of people that are just unverifiable, right? Like we're, we're taking the words of these individuals who've gotten it wrong over and over and right. over again. And the only way they seem to keep their audience is by doubling down on more more scandalous prophetic words exactly. that couldn't possibly be true. Um, so, so this is where rationalism would be super helpful in the Christian <laughs> worldview, right? <laughs> so, right. so when we're, when we're examining the data, going, well, I believe God can do these things, right? And we're looking at a, a prophetic voice, and man, they've gotten a lot right. Well, maybe I should listen to them, right? Versus a person who. I mean, for the last two years, has done nothing but get things wrong and nothing but create new doctrines that are nowhere in the scriptures um, and just expound and expound on a big nothing sandwich is what I call it, right? right? And we're looking at these people who have 
no verifiable relationship with God because they're preaching a whole bunch of stuff that's not in scripture. They've got nothing but wrong prophecies. And now we're going to take their word for something that we want to be true. And that's, Pretty that's, much. I think that's the difficulty. It's the prevailing that, bias problem. That's right. And there, and there are many times when people give prophetic words that are wrong because of that prevailing bias. That's right. And, and I've taught on this extensively in other settings, but to sum it up in a, in a soundbite or two, um, in order to prophesy with effectiveness, you actually have to be in a place of spiritual neutrality mm. where you might actually know what you believe or want, but somehow you're able to detach yourself from it and say, this is what I want, but what do you want, Lord? Or what are you saying in this moment? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to articulate. And we see examples of this in the scripture. It's one of the reasons I think Paul says we should test everything and hold fast to what is good. Implied in that statement is the idea that some things that people might say won't actually be of much benefit. Mm -hmm. And so we set them aside. Doesn't mean we have to stone the prophet, but we just say, no, that's not a word from the Lord. But we see an example of it with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's he's so exercised of soul and body over what's going to happen to him that he is literally sweating blood. And he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And as he continues praying, he says, and nevertheless, not what my want, not my will, but thine be done. Not what I want, but what you want. So Jesus can articulate, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be cut off from, you know, my relationship with you. I don't want any of that. But now that I've said that, I'm going to set it right there, fully aware of what it is. What do you want, Father? Oh, you want me to die. Okay, then I'll submit to the cross. That's that's the process. But when you're so invested in a point of view mm -hmm. that you can't separate yourself from that, you lose actually the ability to be objective. That's right. And with that, you lose the ability to, in this case, to hear God clearly and to define reality prophetically. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and, I, and I've said before that most of the prophets that were prophesying into this election. Mm -hmm. Um, were Republicans. There are not many Democratic prophets. There's a few of them around. I know some, but mm -hmm. but they're not. They're way outnumbered by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And not only that, most of those Republicans are Southern Republicans. The, mo again, there's a few of them around from Northern states. I come from California, but but most of them come from states like Texas and Florida and the Carolinas and so mm -hmm. forth, Tennessee. And so there's a prevailing bias there that doesn't mean they can't prophesy accurately, but they have to take extra care to be sure that they do. Yeah, and I want to ask about um, this kind of anti-intellectualism and this confirmation bias thing, because these are worldview issues that mm -hmm. we're really coming into. The whole world right. has. But before I do that, I just want to back up two steps. And for those who are hearing <clears throat> Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, that he is not wanting to go to the cross, what we're talking about is the, the will of his humanity, That's right? right? Because we would agree that the son freely lays his life down. Absolutely. And, and for those who are wanting to pick bones, Christology right. is Well, worth, I was about to say, we got to be careful up. here because we're going to run into the problem of, you know, is there one nature or two natures? That's and right. Suddenly the whole Chalcedonian formulation is going to Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, so so it's it's worth making the, the slight amendment for those sure. who are listening to go, hey, look, uh, the son freely gave himself. We, right. We're not we're not talking about that. Okay. So when talking That's why he said, nevertheless, not my will. But that's that right. Be done. That's right. Yeah, he yeah, did yeah, give yeah. himself freely. Yes. That's it. Praise God. Uh so when when we're talking about uh uh yes, so the this this kind of rationalistic uh, anti-intellectual, uh, we have the, the the enlightenment, and then we have like the Scopes Monkey trial, and it's causing the Christians to then push into this bubble. But then there's this prevailing confirmation bias. That has been pushed from, and we don't realize this, but in our social media, um, Facebook is only going to present us with views that are like ours, that we're likely to like, that's going to cause us to engage on the platform longer. So if you're conservative, Facebook is going to put those videos in front of you, those posts in front of you. If you're if you're uh, liberal, you know, you're on YouTube, they're going to put those views in front of you. And those are going to affect our worldview. We're not going to engage with people who are different than us. And then we're going to begin to listen to news outlets that say things that we like. So and, and then and then we further segregate geographically into political spaces that agree with That's us right. as well. So now we have Christians who are engaging and are being crafted by society to to believe in confirmation bias can you tell me like 
Can I just how, how add to that? Yeah, too? keep going. I, that's true of Christians, and I, I'm not going to dispute that. Sure. It's also true, though, of many other subgroupings in our yes. society who are in their own echo chambers. That is a worldview of culture, is, is my point. And yeah. Christians are are going along with that indoctrination. Right. Like that is a, as much as the Enlightenment, a uh, hundred years from now, they're going to be talking about what happened now and they're going to call it something. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're going like, to they're, they're yeah. put a label on it. Like, you know, whether it be the confirmation bias error or whatever, because that that is what is happening. We're being segregated into these ideological That's groups right. and it is, it is horrifying what is going on. To hit the fan. I, I can't imagine that it's going to take 100 years for things to, to decay rapidly. And you know um, who actually called this out? It's rather interesting. I, I am not a huge fan of Barack Obama, but Barack Obama called this out mm-hmm. um, while he was still president. And he was talking about people who are, you know, they're following their own community, their own social media channels and all that. And no one's listening to anyone else anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I really agreed with him on that point. I think part of the essence of a good education is to be able to listen to the other side and to, again, using re- reason and rationality, kind of weigh, weigh out what are they saying and sort through that and see if there are things there that may have some validity to them. And that was the initial purpose of like a liberal arts degree, right? It's to right. liberate you from your professor's views, get all of the perspectives. That's right. Which is not necessarily what's happening right now, but um, the idea is that you get all of the pres- positions presented to That's you. That's right. Which is one of the reasons that we do Remnant Radio. I mean, our goal is to say, look, let's get everything on the table. Let's let's be rationalistic. Let's engage our mind and reason and really think about this uh, and all of these various issues. It's just why we have so many people we disagree with on the show. Because I think this is a lost Christian virtue. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. that the, the the value right now and in the subculture of Christianity that I don't know is a fair representation of what Christian faith has been. Their view of a virtue is not challenging their faith with something uh, with a thought that might be contrary to their faith. Right. So like there are entire groups of people who are like, uh, I'm not deaf. Right. <laughs> I'm not deaf, right? It's, <laughs> my dad's got coculars. I apologize for people who are offended by that. Um, um, you know, like they're, they're saying, I'm not deaf, I'm not deaf, I'm not deaf. And they're, they're rejecting reality, which says they're deaf. That's right. Right? And because they believe that if they acknowledge their sickness, it'll affect their faith. That's right. right? And it, it, it right. removes rationalism from the faith space. Um, so, so we have this huge wrestle that we're going through Absolutely. right now. And I think that it's not historically a Christian virtue thus not a Christian virtue whatsoever. Um, but we're really wrestling with that in this season. So the way it came to a head, you know, we've been kind of walking around the whole election process and, you know, there's still reverberations of all that, you know, going on. Somebody told me this morning that, um, I guess there's some new prophecy out that now Donald Trump is going to come back on the 20th of March. Oh, I, I hadn't heard that. Five one, days but, away. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah. Um, but you know the thing that I started saying when when a lot of this talk was going on is I said, do you understand that there is absolutely no mechanism for this within our constitutional system? The Constitution has nothing in it at all that contemplates any any not just that it couldn't happen. I mean, of course, anything could happen. But sure. But rather, we don't have we don't have a system. In our government, based in the Constitution or in the federal code for that matter, the U.S. code, we have no mechanism for a president to be sworn into office only to be taken out of office because somebody who lost the election has now come in and claims the election. There is an impeachment process, but that's not what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And then there are coups. But if we're going to have a coup as I've said numerous times and in multiple places, then you're killing the patient to save the patient. Mm -hmm. Because the nature of what we have as a democracy is that we don't do government by coup. Mm -hmm. They do that in banana republics. We're not a banana republic. We're the world's leading democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We are a constitutional republic. So I don't want to see a coup. Mm -hmm. And so all these people are like, well, the military is going to come up and they're going to back Donald Trump and all this. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong answer. It, it's it's oh, fundamentally yeah. wrong from from the, the system of government that we have. Moreover, if that were to occur, I don't know how it occurs because one of the things that happened right after Biden came in is he switched out all the generals yeah. so that they would be people that are loyal to 
you know, him. Yeah. Because there was a concern that maybe some of these generals were loyal to Trump. Sure. So could it still happen? I guess it could, but I myself don't want to see, I don't want to see our government, you know, fall into that pit because once we're in it, it's going to be very difficult to get out of it. That whoever has more the like power, judgment than a blessing. Yeah, and whoever has the power makes the rules according to their own arbitrary whims. And if it happens to be the Republicans this year, four or five or ten or fifteen years from now, it'll be the Democrats. Yeah. And that's what we see all the time in banana republics, right? right? Whoever's on top kind of invokes the power, and they hold power as long as they can. There's no term limits to it. Yeah, and. That would be the end of America as we have known it. So if we think that this election is invalid or something was done wrongly, well, then let's fix the process and let's win fair and square and double down on our efforts to win the election. But yeah. we don't we don't call up the army and overthrow the government. That's, That's just right. the wrong answer. Because that answer, as a, within a Christian worldview, causes the shedding of blood yes. of, of our of our of our loved ones, our families, our friends. Like, yes. like why would we desire that like innocent lives be lost? I mean the US military are soldiers who've given their life for our country. Right. And you're gonna have them murdering their own people. That's right. Right? Like that's crazy. And that's, that's not what a, we do in America. No, and, and as Christian and at least within a Christian worldview because we're talking about America, the the worldview of America, the founding fathers, the constitution, like the, the the republic that we have, these kinds of things we're we're talking about, but we're also talking about a Christian worldview where it says like we're supposed to honor those who've been placed in authority over us by God. Right? right? Like Christians have got to get this in their system now and figure this out because uh, you know, we're we're going to, you know, it was like five years ago, we were screaming to the top of our lungs that Antifa was this really bad organization of people who are trying to cause violence. And five years later, I am watching Christians who have posted the exact same thing that Antifa was doing. They are now commending Christians for doing and encouraging Christians to do. And we have lost all moral high ground That's right. because of this confirmation bias. We want to believe what we want to believe. We want to be right and we want to win. And we were willing to do anything to get there. And that is not Christian virtue. I totally that is inherently agree. unchristian. And you know, this is this is slightly off topic, but it, it, it bears mentioning right here because we are here. In the midst of all this, we, we would do really well to recover the idea of what is a just war. Come on. Augustine famously wrote about just war theory. And, yep. you know, the, the, the ethical problem is when and how can Christians engage in war of any kind and under what conditions? Because we are called to be people of peace. We are called to refrain from shedding innocent blood. And so, you know, he, he put forth this whole theory. In all of this conversation, I have not heard a single person on the right or the left among the intellectuals or among the prophets or anywhere else, I've heard no discussion of when is it actually okay to wage war. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to try to lay all that out here, but I will simply say this. Um, I don't think the conditions for just war are met in the present environment. I, let's do that. Let's, let's do, <laughs> let's do another show on just war theory, because this is, this is really, really important to me. Um, because I, I do think that the military has the opportunity to go to war. I think um, even when you're in a civil war and there are two different governments, Christians can pick sides. But what I'm what I'm seeing right now are Christians um, not being peacemakers. I'm seeing Christians not striving for unity and the bond of peace. What I'm seeing is Christians not only doubling down, uh, but I see them doubling down in such a way to um, polarize their opponents. Like they're pushing on both ends and, and what the media is segregating us with, we are, we are allowing it and intensifying it and crystallizing it where we should be humbling ourselves, loving our neighbor, trying to embrace them, trying to listen, trying to dialogue, trying to appeal to them about the Christian worldview. Um, and, and I have seen, um, and it kind of, it kind of breaks my heart. I've seen family members, I've seen Christian people I respected, um, lose their, their prayer life, lose their commitment to the scriptures, lose their attendance to church, and begin to place um, politics as an right. idol in their life. And yep. it is rampant in America. Yep. And and I don't hear Christian pastors talking about it. I don't hear people confronting this because it's an idol, and they're afraid if they touch this idol, people are going to lose their minds. You know, it's interesting you're bringing this up. Um, I won't name the person, but it's somebody that we've discussed, you know, when we're not 
on camera. <laughs> um, but it could uh, be a hundred people. Well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, a, a well-known uh, personality within the, the what is deemed the prophetic community in America uh, said to me in the midst of all of this that the Lord had spoken. I'll say to them, even though it's bad grammar. Sure. Uh, because I don't want to even give away the gender. Sure. Uh, the Lord had spoken to them and in the midst of all this said, are you more focused on politics or on me? And this individual just broke down crying and said, oh my gosh, I've completely lost my focus on you mm-hmm. as I've become embroiled in all of this you know, partisan politics. And, and it, 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 it's, like, it's like a perennial risk Mm-hmm. For all of us, right, that we become so impassioned, so committed to a cause that somehow that begins to trump our allegiance to Jesus himself. That's right. And the ability to hear his voice and our desire to, you know, worship him and read his word and live a life that's worthy of the profession that we make. Yeah. And 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 at that point, this individual essentially withdrew from that whole process and conversation because it, it, I mean, it was a mild rebuke, but it was nevertheless a rebuke from the Lord. What yeah. are you doing? And I don't want people out there, Christians out there, to hear us and say, uh, we don't want Christians involved in uh, morality and in right. uh, the legislations of, of, right. of abortion or some of the gender laws. Like, I am not saying Christians don't get involved in politics. Right. What I'm saying is right. check your heart and don't have an idol. Yep. Like, I, I think that's such a reasonable thing to request of Christians. Right. Right. Like, I don't know. And I'm going to get messages like, how dare you say that we shouldn't get like, even in saying this, I'm still going to get messages. The, the thing is, is like, we, we need to check our heart, not create idols and begin to worship men rather than the creator. Uh, but we're in this space where certain political individuals can do no wrong and we worship at their there's literally statues of these folk <laughs> literally gold statues of these people okay like maybe the cat's out of the bag you know what i'm talking about but like let's get real people it's too far right um and i don't i don't know i am admittedly not as involved in politics as i should be i will admit that i have probably been on the side of error and sin and not being involved in the justice system in in the political space out of fear of practicing the idol that yep. i see others in so i'm probably i'll call it sin in that error to the extreme that i've i've removed myself from it but I'd rather be here than there. I'll tell you, uh, out of the two errors, I'd rather be here preaching the gospel, having a life of prayer, being committed to scripture, studying up, and, and having being more aware of what happened 2,000 years ago than what happened last week in a political system. I'd just rather be in that space. Um, but since you've admitted yeah. it's sin, you can repent. I can repent. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do want to say something, though, that I think really needs to be said. In, in defense of those who are so ardent about their point of view, who are running in the prophetic company, sure. uh, conservative Christians in general, and I don't think this has really been said very much for quite a while, mm-hmm. and it, it needs to be said in their defense, um, because in many ways I find myself aligned with those people. Sure. Maybe not fully. I mean, this conversation suggests that. But, right, right, right. But nevertheless, in many ways, I'm sympathetic to them. And, and here's what I think needs to be said. I think for a lot of Christians, as they observe what's going on, part of what draws them into the political process is as they observe some of the legislation that's coming forth, some of the statements that are being made in media uh, and so forth, I'll just say collectively the public square, as they look at it, if they think biblically, if they understand what this really says, they can't escape the conclusion that a great deal of what's going on is immoral. Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to use that word anymore. It's a value judgment. Mm-hmm. But it is, in fact, immoral. It is contrary to the ways of God. And we are advocating high and low, left and right, for things that are actually out of bounds if we're going to live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Oh, yeah. And so for a lot of Christians, they're looking at this and they're saying, you know, we have a calling to order our society according to the ways and precepts of the Lord. And I get it. Sometimes there's differences of opinion here and there. But I would say there was something of a consensus of what that approximately meant uh, through much of American history. And, And I might even go further back into European history 
in many quarters because Europe was quote unquote Christendom. Mm -hmm. And now as we live in this time with all of the new morality, with all of the new legislation, the things that are being put forth, Christians are viscerally reacting to that because it is in fact wrong. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a value judgment, but based on the word of God, these things are wrong. And And I think, I think Christians need to be given a bit of slack for their, what do I want to call it? Righteous indignation over these things that are going on in our world. And I will agree with you that a lot of these guys in the prophetic space that I strongly disagree with theologically, that I strongly disagree with uh, in practition, um, I would say that my worldview is much closer to theirs than uh, the far left. Right? You just don't like the package it comes in. I just in. don't like the package it comes in. Yeah. I think I think what happens is... Um, the views that we have are actually the same, but the means by which you want to get there are very, very different, right? Um, like when we when we look at the way government should be run, the way that right. we look at morality, we have so much in common, right? And I can I can lock arms with them on those issues, um, but where I can't lock arms is the means by which we're going to accomplish that end, right? Um, so so again, there are the theological space, the practitioner space on the side, just moral judgments as like I'm conservative as the day is long. I have no problem talking about that on air. Um, you know, that, that being said, um, as Christians, we are Christians first. Right. That's right. And, and there happen to be some conservative issues. Right. That are that are very Christian issues. Right. Right. Um, but we're, we're making sure that we're bringing the gospel first. Like even if I was like, let's pretend government's not a thing. And I'm there are people who are, you know, um, that, that have a, a, a pro abortion kind of view on 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 the life issue. And I'm having a conversation with that individual. Um, I'm going to appeal to scripture. I'm going to appeal to uh, the created order. I'm going to appeal to the Imago Dei um, as a case for the life of that child. Why is it that when we introduce government that that changes? Mm -hmm. Why is it that we don't go to the preaching of the gospel first? I would encourage everyone to go to Apologia um, on YouTube, go to Apologia Studios, and they have cases where they stand before judges one after they get five minutes at a time, right? And they have a line of preachers that stand before judges and preach the gospel to them, that you stand condemned before a holy God because you've endorsed this unjust, right, you know, this unjust decree and one after the other come in and preach in front of these judges. And they come up at him and go like, hey, you know, I can't do this and I can't. He's like, dude, Colorado can legalize marijuana and flip the bird to the national government. Why can't you? Right. Well, on this issue, like this is what, what your people want. Like, and uh, and he's pushing them, pushing them. And I'm I'm telling you, Arizona is going to be the the first pro life state that just rebels against federal legislation. <laughs> you, go check it out, see what they're doing. It is insane. Uh, the the movements. I was on the phone with Jeff, who who leads that ministry, and he's like, yeah, man. He, he was talking about the the political space uh, with Trump because if we get this next election, it's going to be over. Like we're gonna we're gonna end abortion in the next four years mm-hmm. here. So maybe that has been backdated, but I'm telling you, they're working at it. They're committed to it. Um, but uh, I'm I'm expectant for people like that to win because they're doing it the right way. Yeah. Same message, but delivering it the right way. So we're talking about the 21st century. But, you know, if you look back, say, 400 years into the the period following the, the triggering of the Reformation, mm-hmm. what do we get in Europe? Religious wars. Mm-hmm. Well, these are Christians fighting Christians now. That's right. right? They might be Lutherans against Calvinists, or they might be Catholics against Lutherans, or whatever they are. But this is, this is because we're a little bit distant from it, we can be somewhat more dispassionate about it. Um, when we look at what was going on there, there we see people who we'd like to think had mostly the right ideas, but they were, had all the wrong techniques. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what we're trying to avoid is a you know a resurgence of something that is like the religious war period. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, like uh, yeah, so much there. Okay, so I've got to let you go. You've got to okay. catch a flight. Uh, right. A flight. So uh, uh, thank you so much for coming. It's yeah, always it's always fun. good to be here. I'm always I'm always just like so shockingly surprised. Like when you're on the show, I'm like this is gonna be a good episode, and then it's always so much better than I expected <laughs> it to be. So uh, and for those of you who are out there that you're watching, this episode has been a blessing to you. You've been encouraged by Remnant Radius Ministry. I'd encourage you to give in the link of the description. There's two ways you can give. One is on PayPal, one-time gift, or there on Patreon. You can give uh, as low as five bucks a month to get access to all of our content and help support what we're doing as a ministry. Uh, if there's a piece of content that you've seen on Facebook or YouTube that's on our Patreon account that you don't have access to, and you can't 
can't afford five bucks a month, go ahead and hit me an email at media at theremnantradio.com. I'll send you that specific link for that specific video. Uh, we don't want there to be a paywall preventing you from getting good content that's going to edify you and your local community. However, we are trying to keep the lights on and it's not free. So uh, make sure uh, if you have it within your heart to give, please do so. Uh, for the rest of you, uh, make sure to hit subscribe and like the video as we're coming out with content just like this. I've got Dawson coming on tomorrow discussing Jeremiah 23 uh, and doing a further exposition on that text. Very excited for that tomorrow. Uh, so you guys stay tuned and we'll see you then. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.